starting our series talking about speaking the gospel to ourselves through the habits of grace, what we have maybe traditionally known as the spiritual disciplines. We're thinking about what it looks like to do that in a way that is not motivated by guilt or shame or just mere duty, but doing it because we want to know the Lord. We want to have communion with Him. We don't want to just know Jesus, to know God, to know the Holy Spirit as some sort of abstract or theoretical idea, but we really want to know Him. We don't just want to know about God. We want to know God. And to know someone means we have to spend time with someone. And it means we have to create space in our lives to not just be around someone, but actually to be present. Because we all know that you can be with somebody and not really be present with somebody. That is very easy to do. Any of us that have went through difficult times in our marriages know that you can live in the same house with somebody and basically just be like two strangers passing in the night. And so we can also do that in our relationship with the Lord. And so what we have to do is we have to cultivate space to have intentional time with Him, not to just leave there, but so that we can actually go and live in an everyday life-changing relationship with Christ. Last week we talked about how these habits shape our heart, reveal our heart, and reorder our loves. If you want a couple books that you want to, to look at that might help you if you want to dive into this more deeply, one is a book called When I Don't Desire God, How to Fight for Joy. So if, if you're interested, and it has some great ways to think about how your relationship with God is really a fight for joy in Him. And another one is just called uh, The Spiritual Disciplines by Donald Whitney. So the first one's by a man by the name of John Piper, When I Don't Desire God, How to Fight for Joy. The other one, The Spiritual Disciplines by Donald Whitney. These, think, these books will help you if you wanted to dive deeper. But more importantly is God's Word. And so that's what we're going to, to look at today. The best way to learn about God is not secondhand through someone else's word, but directly from His Word, which will be what we're all about today. So Hebrews chapter 4, we'll read verses 11 through 16. Stand back here so those on this side can see. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest, so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Father, we thank you this morning for the good news of your word. We thank you that we do not gather to hear the thoughts and opinions of any person, but we gather to hear your voice. So we pray that what is true would pierce our hearts. We pray that what is said that is not true to your word would just fall to the ground. We pray that Jesus would be known, known not just as true news, but as good news today, and that you would shape our lives 
by an active, diligent, disciplined, yet delighting pursuit of being with you in our life. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, several years ago, I was talking to an old, wise man in the community at which we live, and he, he told me in passing that he wanted a few things for his son. We had young boys at the time, or newly born boys that were probably had just went through their baby dedication. I can't remember everything he said, but he just had two or three. One of them is he wanted his son to be able to provide for himself and his family. So he wanted him to know how to work. He wanted him to have a good work ethic. The second thing is he wanted him to know how to handle a gun. So we're in the South, right? So he wanted him to know how to, to not just provide for his family, but if need so, to be able to protect his family. And maybe be able to go hunt in the providing thing. I can't remember what the third one was, but I remember I was very impressed by the fact that this man, though, had this positive vision for what he wanted for his sons. He knew, if I can't teach anything else, I want these things. And so as we think about God's Word, and we do this on a day in which we've had a baby dedication and our minds are there, we've got to ask ourselves, do we have such a clear vision for our own lives and for our children's lives that we can say, I don't know if they'll learn anything else, but here's what I want them to know. Here's what I want them to be able to do. Here's what I want them to have. And then we've got to ask ourselves the next question. In that list of those two or three things, do we find that we want our children to know God through the truth of His Word? As we looked at last week, we have to see, is that really what we want? Or is it just what we think we want? Do the habits of our lives, does the example that we share show that son, daughter, if anything, I want you to know that God, knowing God through His Word is more valuable and precious than anything. It's more important than you getting your homework done. It's more important than good grades. It's more important than whatever you grow up and become. It's more important than whatever sport you're involved in. This, this right here is more important than that gun, than that guitar, than that whatever. Because we look, in, we look at our lives, we look at the history of the world, everything can be taken away. But God's Word says that it is His Word that endures forever. The grass fades, flowers fall, but the Word of the Lord endures forever. Now some people in our day and in some circles want to separate the knowledge of God from the knowledge of God's Word. But God doesn't make any type of distinction like that. He says, you know me through my Word. As He sends His Son into this world to reveal Himself, we see Jesus described as the Word who became flesh and dwelt among us. There's nothing more valuable than knowing God, and therefore there's nothing more worthwhile than our knowing His Word. We can give our children great ministries. We can give our youth and students great activities. But the one thing that will stand and shape them and have a more impact on their lives 
is that they learn how to handle God's Word through themselves and they see the people in their lives that they look to to lead them loving God through His Word. I had a great youth ministry experience. I loved it. I loved all the fun we had. So I'm not being negative about it at all. But as I look back and I see who are the people from those experiences that are continuing to walk with the Lord today? It's the ones who began to have a life that was invested in the Word of God in the community of God's people. That had older people who were pouring into their lives, not just giving them events to attend. And that doesn't happen without a discipline in our lives of being shaped by His Word. So we must give ourselves to the habit of focused time in God's Word. Well, how do we get there? Well, first, we've got to be convinced of the power of God's Word. So if you're new here, sometimes we think out loud a little bit together. So when in our lives, what are some examples that could reveal that we do not believe that God's Word truly is powerful? When do we reveal that we don't believe God's Word is truly powerful? About That our habits reveal our heart. That we have a theology or a doctrine or a knowledge of God that we say we believe, but our lives say what we really believe. There's so many ways that we reveal this. Just in my own life, is that when we hear of research into the way that the human mind or lives works, and we get so excited about it, right? Wow, isn't this great to figure out this? And then it's like, Romans, blah, again, right? When we learn these new personality things, we have some of these in our church that we value and that we use to, to know one another. And So I'm not negating that. But it's like, oh, I get excited about this. I want to learn everything about this. And then it's like, well, yeah, but the Bible, you know, kind of been there, done that. You know, that God's Word can take me this far, but if I really, really want to get down to what changes people, if I really want to have change in my life, then i got to have this thing. And so the, that thing could be a good thing, but very quickly our Bibles become this sort of insufficient thing that can get us this far, but it doesn't have the power to give us what we really, really need. But as we look into Hebrews chapter 4, we see this clear description of the power of God's Word. Chris, if you could click back there to verse 11, we see that so often we, we view the Bible as this thing that's sort of going to drag us down or drain us, you know, or sort of take away the joy in our lives. But notice verse 11, let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no, no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. So usually we jump to verse 12, which is fine, because this is just generally talking about the Word of God in many ways, but within this context, there's a larger argument that the author of Hebrews is giving, and he is saying to the people of Hebrews, like the Hebrews of the Old Testament, you're in danger of falling away from God by trusting in your own works to give you an everlasting relationship with Him. And so he's saying here, and it feels sort of backwards to us, let us strive to enter rest. Let us work. Let us put forth the effort to not rest in our works. And if you've been a believer any amount of times, any amount of time, you'll realize it is an effort to not trust in your own works. It takes an effort 
to not make reading the Bible about you getting a checklist done. Because your Bible reading can very quickly become a legalistic practice that does leave you drained, comparing yourself to other people, thinking, I've got to figure out some better, more in-depth, more, more deep way to do this to make myself feel accepted before God and as good as other Christians. If I don't have the latest pens that don't bleed through the pages, and, the, you know, and I do all that stuff, I love it, but we, it can very quickly become just this guilt-ridden legalism that thereby we then make ourselves apart from the gospel. But he's saying strive to enter that rest. And how do we do it? For the word of God is living and active. That for connects us back to this context that the word of God comes to warn us and to guide us and to lead us away from a self-focused religion. In so many circles, God's word is used to bludgeon people, to hurt people, to harm people, to guilt people, to burden people. Like Jesus said to the Pharisees, you're heaping burdens upon people's backs, but by the way, you use God's Word. But Jesus says, I have come to give you rest. But when we cut ourselves off from the Word of God and the regular, everyday stuff of our lives, we cut ourselves off from this fountain of grace, of truth, the Word of God. This Word of God, again, within the book of Hebrews, you'll see if you look in Hebrews, he's just quoting the Old Testament over and over again. It's like this book of Hebrews is a sermon on the Old Testament where he's just expositing these great texts, particularly right before we get to this text, Psalm 95. And so we see here that he's not talking about some sort of word of God that just you know, comes out of the blue or some word of God that's just speaking about the person of Jesus Christ. No, he's talking about the written, the revealed, the given scriptures that at this time were mainly speaking towards the Old Testament, but as God's people grew and as time went on, this very word would fall within. The true word of God. We need to give our children, we need to give ourselves truth. We live in a world where people want to say, well, that's true for you, but it's not true for me. You know, there's true with a small T, but what the Word of God here is we're talking about truth with a capital T. We're talking about what's true in Unity Dance Studio in Cleveland, Tennessee, is true right now in Beijing, in Nairobi, in Czechoslovakia. It's true at Harvard. It's true at Emory. It's the Word of God. The Word of God. It's knowable. There's an assumption all throughout Scripture in the, in the face of modern day philosophies that not only is God's Word true, but people can know it truly. That it's not just, well, that's your interpretation. It may be, but the assumption in God's Scriptures, there can be a true interpretation. We can know it, and we're accountable to live in light of it. It's unchanging. It endures. It's living and active. This is amazing. 
It's not just dead words on a page to those who have been given the Holy Spirit through faith in Christ. But it's alive. Some of you know what I'm talking about in this. Is you're like, I'd read that before. And then I read it again. It's like a totally different scripture. This is why you can read through the Bible every year if you choose to do that. And it, and it never gets old. It never gets boring. Because it's alive. It's active. It's not you just doing work on it. It works on you. Martin Luther said, the Bible is alive. It speaks to me. And I love this. He says, it has feet. It runs after me. It has hands. It lays hold on me. Notice also, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces to the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. saying here is it gets down to the level of our interpretations of life and the motivations by which we live. But the power of the Holy Spirit through the Word of God exposes us. One is said, and maybe somewhat negatively, the Bible is not user-friendly. It doesn't let you come and hold your own agendas. It's just the truth of God's Word, whether you like it or not. There's an old saying, the Bible said it, I believe it, that settles it. Well, no, really, it's the Bible said it, that settles it. You know, it doesn't matter whether you believe it or not. <laughs> you know, you might not believe in gravity. Go jump off a building and we'll see how that worked out for you. You know, this is it's piercing truth. That's why verse 13, no creature is hidden from his sight. Some people want to just sort of have this sort of or ignorance is bliss. I don't want to read my Bible because I'm afraid it's going to, you know, sort of mess with my life and my own programs I have for my own happiness. But the truth is the truth. For so many of us, we just honestly have to say, well, that's not been my experience with God's Word. Then we have to honestly look, well, what kind of attempt, what kind of habit did you make with God's Word? You know, this is like a husband saying, well, honey, you know, I tried to really get to know you. Remember that time I took you out to a movie and we sat in that theater and didn't talk to each other for two hours in the dark? And I watched a movie and ate popcorn beside of you? I guess we're just not compatible. Not really much of an effort. Others of us have been around God's Word, but we've not really been in God's Word. Others of us raised in a society and culture that's sort of a minute-rise society. Right? We, want, we want it, we want it fast. Right? If I can't see my return on my investment fast, I tried it and it didn't work. But with any relationship... It takes time. Reading God's Word, hearing God's Word preached isn't also about just what you remember. I mean, most of us in here, if I were to say, do you remember what you ate two weeks ago on Tuesday night? Well, no. But did it have a formative effect on your life? Yes. 
Just don't eat for two weeks and see how you feel. It doesn't matter if you remember what you eat. It's the repetitive practice that has a powerfully effective result in the outcome of your life. In our experience of being a part of a church like this where we really emphasize discipleship, we seek to structure ourselves where people have the freedom in their lives to to follow Jesus in the everyday, to call one another to do that, to to have word-centered gatherings, to have family meals where we get together and we share in the story of God's Word together. But we also have uh, this, this little pocket called fight clubs. In some of our churches, they're called DNA groups. Three to four guys, three to four girls, roughly that number, who meet on a regular basis to just be in God's Word together. And we saw how important this was for making disciples, not just in theory, but in practice. But one thing we realized after a while is that even just meeting once a week to dive into God's Word, even in that type of setting, was just not enough to feed people's faith. That people were continually, continually even struggling to have faith. And what became apparent to us is just the same thing I was taught in Sunday school at a young age is that no one's going to really grow unless they're in God's Word regularly. And by regularly, not weekly. But we need God's Word daily if possible. I just can't stress that there's just no way you're going to grow as a disciple if you aren't in God's Word regularly. As we look at the life of Jesus, we see even He retreating to be alone with His Father. We see Jesus facing the enemy, Satan, in the wilderness, and what He's using is God's Word. What He says to Satan in Matthew 4.4 is man does not live by bread alone, but by the Word of God. Some people say, well, my, you know, I've tried this Jesus thing, I've tried this God thing, I've tried to grow. It just, it just doesn't work question is, well, how are you eating? Are you feeding your faith? Are you thinking that you're going to get strong, healthy, vibrant, apart from eating on the Word of God? So we read for truth. We read for life. We read to be revealed. We read to be healed. And we read for joy. We can't do this only by being convinced of God's power, though that's where it starts. We've got to be committed to the practice of being in God's Word. We have to be. Verse 13 again says, No creature is hidden from His sight, but all will be exposed. All are exposed. So again, we can sort of hide from the mirror of God's Word, letting it show us what's true about who we are and who God is. Or we can actually come and see the truth for what it is. And grow by it. Be helped by it. Be healed by it. Be changed by it. But we have to be committed. So let's think again together out loud for a second. What keeps us from being committed to a regular practice of time in God's Word? Just, we, we don't, it's, it's kind of this sort of circular trap we're in. Is we, don't, we don't know the bigger story here. And so going to God's Word to find our place in that story. It's just not compelling. 
great. I won't repeat it all again. David said it greatly. All these things, whatever it is, maybe just ask yourself that. You don't have to share it out loud. What is it that keeps you from doing it? Is it because you just feel too drained to do it and need just the relief of the hour or two of TV or you feel too busy? Or if it's like David said, you can be honest. This is a safe place in your mind before God, your heart, to say, I'm just not compelled to do it. I just don't want to do it. God already knows that, right? You don't got to say it out loud here, but say it. you can say it to him. God, I don't want to think your word's boring to me, but it is. It's a good place to start. But the only way you're going to find the truth the compelling, joy-giving nature of God's Word is by beginning to read it and reading it within the community of God's people who are living in that greater story and who can share with you what it therefore, thereby looks like to engage God's Word, not as a textbook that you've been assigned to do homework in. Of course, if you view it like that, it's going to be boring. <coughs> but to view it as the guidebook, the instructions, as it were, to show you how to live out your place within the great drama of God's redemption. Because one of Jesus' questions, if you read through the Gospels, as He's confronting and He's engaging people, even in that predominantly oral culture, where they would have not all had these bound Bibles within their homes, but if you look at what Jesus says, He says to people this question, Have you not read? As these false teachers present these alternative ways of living out the way that God has called us to be His people in this world, Jesus would often say, Have you not read? And Jesus was seeing His life giving so much time to the teaching of God's Word. It says He was regularly in the, in the synagogue expounding God's Word calling people to a deeper knowledge of God's Word, not just in theory, but in the stuff of everyday life. I remember that what changed my life in ways that I cannot describe was one night as younger in my life, I was listening to a preacher on the radio. And they were like, you really are a nerd. I was doing it. And it was probably somebody you guys have heard of, Charles Stanley. I hadn't listened to him in a long time, but this was impactful to me. You'll think, oh, wow, that was really impactful. Listen, this is all he said. I want to challenge you. He probably did this. I want to challenge you for one month to read one chapter of the Bible every day and write down, write down on a piece of paper what you read and what time you read it. And do it for one month and see if it doesn't make a dramatic difference in your life. And if it doesn't, well, hey, you're only going to waste about five, ten minutes of your day if you don't think it was worth it. But I challenge you to do it. And I did it. And my life was never the same. Now, probably for a large season of that, I probably did it legalistically. I may even did it from the wrong motives at certain times. I may even did it with the wrong results. But it changed me. 
And with God as my witness, I would say here, more than Bible college, more than seminary, more than any program or experience I've had within the life of the church, that just being in God's Word on a regular basis has made a bigger difference than any of that. Because all we need to disciple us is the Word of God, the Spirit of God, and the people of God. And it can be said of us what was said of the disciples in Acts 4 that blew the mind of all of these highly educated religious people is we don't understand it. These are uneducated men, but we can see they have been with Jesus. And when you come to God's Word to be with Jesus and to be like Jesus, it will change you. And it may not happen in a day. It may not happen in a week. But as the eroding power of the Spirit of God through the Word of God washes over your heart day in and day out, you will be changed. You will be better spouses. You will be more loving parents. You will be more compelling witnesses. If we just do that, you're going to have to be convinced of its power. You're going to have to set a time. You may have to take that challenge yourself. I'm going to do it right down the the chapter, right down the day. If you're connected with one of our fight clubs, we know we have every one of us in in a reading plan so that we have accountability. And if you're not connected with one, even if you can't make it to the actual meetings, you can just get on their their social whatever way they're connecting, through text or group me or Facebook, just to be encouraged, just to know you're not doing it alone. But you're going to have to be disciplined for the sake of delight. A place, a time, a plan, a people to help you, and a way to do it. That we are here to equip you in so many ways. But the last thing, because this can go sideways so fast in our rebel and religious heart, is why we went to verses 14 through 16. Not only have we got to be convinced of the power of God's Word and committed to the practice of being in it, but we've got to be consistently Christ-centered and Christ-focused and Christ-driven in our coming to God through His Word. You are not welcomed into the presence of God because you're a faithful Bible reader. And you might think, duh, but trust me, you, if you start practicing this, the enemy in your flesh will try to warp this. Because guess what's going to happen? You're going to miss some days. You're probably going to miss some months. And the enemy's going to tell you, see, I told you you wouldn't do it. See, I told you you're a lazy bum. See, I told you you're undisciplined. See, I told you you're not like all those varsity Christians at church. Why do you even try? If you've not been there, I've been there. Thinking, man, I didn't read my Bible today. God's so disappointed in me. I'm his son that doesn't love him and... You know, I I wish I was one of his really beloved children. But here's the good news. We don't read our Bibles to be accepted by God. We read our Bibles because we already are accepted by God. 
We don't come to spend time with our Father and, and, you know, clock in and clock out so that we can say, here, Dad, I got all my work done for you. So now will you play with me? Maybe that's how your childhood was. I got to do every, if I do everything my dad says and get all the work done, well, then I might can hang out with him a little bit. Well, here's the gospel. It's God sent His Son to do all the work for you. He paid the price. He's your high priest. He takes you into the presence of God. If you don't read your Bible for three months, He's not going to love you any less. So just take all that pressure off and just walk into God's presence every day saying, here I am, Father. I want to hear from You. I want to be with You. I am messed up. I am jacked up. I don't have it together. I just yelled at my spouse. I just wanted to strangle my child. I just wanted to literally murder my coworker. The gospel is just mind blowing. And then, all that, you can come with confidence to the throne of grace and say, Forgive me, Father. Forgive me. And he's going to say to you, Not, hmm. Go read your Bible some more, and we'll see what I can do. He's going to say, Don't you remember? I sent my son to live a perfect life for you. He was the perfect everyday Bible reader. He was the word for you. And he went to the cross and he died for you in your place. And yeah, you don't deserve to be here. But guess what? I want you here. And I want you here so much, I put all the judgment that I could fairly and rightly give to you on him. I didn't leave him there, but I brought him forth from death and exalted him at my right hand. And now not only can you know he lived for you and he died for you, but every day he is right here at my right hand interceding for you. While you're, even, while, even while you're saying you're so busy that you could only spend an hour scrolling on Facebook today. And By the way, there's apps you can download that show you if you're willing to go there. And even so, God's not guilting you into His presence, but calling you by love and grace to something better, into a better story, into a better spending of your time, into a better shaping of your life. And only when we receive that will this be something we want to do. That we don't have to do, but we get to do. And then we can live lives on mission because we're not giving to others from an empty well, but we're giving from those who are being filled with the water of the Word. I just want us to imagine if, if this is just all we did as a church, is we were just the people who are committed to being in God's Word together and living it out. Alright, that's it. That's all we want to do. I think we'd be just fine. Imagine if every... Claiming Christian in Bradley County, Tennessee was having a regular, daily, life-changing relationship with Jesus through the Spirit's work as they come into the Word in their lives every day. It would be game over revival. 
Well, let's let it start with us. Let's let it be us. I saw a video. I wish I could have saw it, but y'all know how bad I am with technology. I would have showed it. I can't remember which country it was in Africa, but the missionaries had been working there for a season. You know, they, only, they didn't have the Bible in their own language. And so the missionaries having to, to, to speak it, it's being translated, and many people come to faith in Christ. After some time of work there with translators, they finally get the Word of God put into their language, and they're waiting for it to arrive. You can YouTube this and look it up. Bible arrival, I can't remember where it is. But there's this scene, it's just so amazing. Of here, this, this, they're in these mountains, and it's all of these, it must be African people. And here comes this plane. Like you'd think on a movie. And it's not even great quality video, you know. It's somebody, and it's coming around the bend. And all of these people are standing there, and they know what's on this plane. It's Bibles in their own language. And you can see as that plane comes around the corner, all of these people just start to cheer and to scream and to dance. And the children are running around. Because why? The Word of God is coming to them in their language. They're not going to have to hear it secondhand anymore. They're going to actually get to know about this God who loves them, who has rescued them, who has made them His children. And it's the best thing they could ever receive. And I got ten Bibles stacked in my closet right now. God's Word is such a gift to us. Not because it's our God, but because it reveals our God to us. So let us give ourselves to God for the habit of being in His Word. Father, we thank You so much that we can know You for who You truly are. We don't have to look up into the sky, though it reveals You enough to hold us accountable, but we can not just look up and guess, but we have Your Word revealing us, revealing You to us and revealing us to ourselves. We thank You that it is not given as an instrument to guild us, to shame us, to make us afraid, but to, to show us who we truly are in our need and to show, you, show us who you truly are in all of your glory. And we thank you in Jesus' name.